Hey, it's the Love in Our Wake podcast, and we're really glad that you've joined us today. Together with Ben Teefy, Jason Aitchison, we're diving into theology, talk real life, and how we can learn, like Jesus, to leave love in our wake. I'm Bethany Thompson. Let's go. So today we're talking about the opposite of, we've been diving into what it means to leave love in our wake. And so today we want to talk about what what's the opposite and what do we mm-hmm. see around us? So guys, pull it out to you. What do you see around you? What's the opposite of leaving love in our wake? The, the elephant in the room, hate. It's <laughs> <laughs> easy. Okay, we're all done for today. Thanks. <laughs> Let's pull that a bit apart and then. Are you bringing the... some private conflicts into the public <laughs> domain, Jason? <laughs> Mainly only to our three followers, right? <laughs> I feel like it's varied, isn't it, though? Because um, the gift of the Spirit is um, love in all its various expressions mm-hmm. and peace and faithfulness and yep. gentleness. And so we're really looking for the opposite of all of that, which is seen in every even in our own lives, but in lots of parts of the world today. Yeah. Mm, mm. I love you just recently did a sermon on those gifts and the, the chorus and that kind mm, of thing. Mm, but, mm. Um, and, and I always think about when I think about love, that it is a gift. And, and when we think about those fruits of the spirits, that it starts with love, like the first thing that he says. And I think whenever you talk about something that is, um, important. The first thing a person says is mm, one of the most mm. like one of the most poignant things that a person's trying to express. Um, mm-hmm. And so, I guess in my thoughts, the opposite of love is, um, in, in a lot of ways, it, it's cruelty. You know, in like because if we're not loving, well, really, what we are being is cruel. Um, and so, if I'm not being a person of love, well, I am being a person of hate. And I know that's such a strong word. That is word. a very strong mm. thought. But it is. Like, it, it is such a strong word in the sense we're like, oh, no, no, no. We, But, like, the complete opposite of love is hate. And so we say love in this extreme of love and we do this extreme of anti-love in mm. a sense. Do you, do, you think that the, the, do you think the opposite is just hate? I'm going to go controversial yeah. and I'm not going to say that there's an opposite that there is just one opposite. I think it's like the New Testament worldview sketches that self-emptying, self-giving, you know, unconditional love, seeking after that which is best for the other, so it's completely other oriented, right? That's all the meaning of agape mm. love in the New Testament. Mm. So then there's a there's a there are shades of how you get away from that. And I really mm. think, really, the opposite of love would be selfishness. Yeah, Ooh, I was going to say because like even that. you, some of the reasons that looks um, the opposite of you can see people not leaving love in their way is because they love themselves more. That's right. That's which right. Which is the definite like selfishness that mm. I want mm. me over self-emptying love. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And for Jesus, loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength is one thing. But then it's equal par. You know, the second commandment which Jesus said is equal to the first one, love your neighbour as yourself. Mm. So that is about being oriented towards someone else to mm. the same degree that you're self-oriented, which we're all self-oriented. So the idea is to become other-oriented. Um, because mm. I think a lot of people go, oh, well, I don't hate. I'm not hate. I'm not full of hate or I'm not aggressive mm. or whatever. But, you know, indifference, selfishness, narcissism, all of those things are love's opposites really. Like there's not one opposite. I think it's like it's either love and if it's anything else, it's contradistinction to mm. what we're called to. Mm. I'm thinking even about um, this is an extremely small thing, but well, not really, but impatience. Like when I'm, unless mm. I'm on a deadline that I kind of, hey, we needed to get here. 
Yeah. Particularly thinking about if you're dealing with any form of children, teenagers, anything like that. Yeah. yeah. The impatience is kind of like it can be that actually I want my way. Mm-hmm. Right? I love me more and this doesn't matter. Whatever's important to you right now doesn't matter. Let's just move on. Yeah. And I feel like that is an opposite of love. Yeah. Mm. And then I watch people who are really good at nurturing and I'm always like, well, that's amazing because they're leaving love in their wake. Mm. You know, teachers, yeah. school teachers that are incredibly patient with their their school kids mm. or nurses mm. that are incredible at their jobs or NDIS support workers that just take their time to walk mm. at the pace of mm. the person. Mm. I think, man, the patience that they're leaving is leaving love in their wake. And the opposite of that is being impatient. Yes. And I'm I'm about me and I'm going here, so you better kind of jump on board. Oh, that's pretty interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Larry Crabb in his famous um, Christian counselling textbook, uh, he says that, that the essence of that impatience, when you lose your temper, you get crotchety, you get, you know, you internally boil when somebody's not doing it your way or they're not going fast enough or whatever. He calls it blocked motivation. And blocked motivation is I have a desire which I'm pursuing and then you get between me and my desire mm. and that births all of this negative emotion. So call yeah. it, you know, impatience is probably one of the expressions of mm. it. But it's like, you know, I'm looking for my hammer. My son borrowed my – I don't have a son, so this is completely <laughs> hypothetical. <laughs> and I probably don't even have a hammer, in fact. <laughs> it's getting real. I'm looking, I'm looking for my hammer. I go to my tool shed. I go to where my hammer normally is stored. It's not there. Now I'm really angry mm. and I'm yeah. walking around the house yelling at people, kicking the cat, kicking the dog. Mm. Why blocked motivation? Something got between me and my desire, goal, mm. you know, pursuit. And that's what burts out this negative emotion. So that is a classic example of how impatience is born mm. out of, you know, um, self-orientation basically. Yeah. And that orientation is really a great point with this though, isn't it? Because if you are focused on something else, whether it's a gender or yourself, mm-hmm. like something to do with yourself and other people. The 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 what you're leaving in your wake is entirely different. Yes, that's right. That's and right. whether it's impatience or this the the blocked motivation, but it can also you know be the extremity yeah. of cruelty, cruelty and hate. Um, or yeah, it can if you be, don't have good boundaries, then not suddenly oh, your impatience is re- reflected yeah. in. You know, it can be very hate filled, aggressive. Yeah. You know, so there's aggressive on the one hand, and there's passive aggressive on the other hand. And, yeah, and, you know, passive aggressive people they can say, "Oh, I didn't do anything wrong." Yeah, so like, no, but you've frozen the temperature of the room down. You slammed your coffee mug down. You walked around huffing and puffing. Oh no, but you didn't actually say anything to anyone. It's still an aggressive type of behaviour. Mm. But you know that classic. Oh, what did I do? <laughs> well, we're not leaving love in our wake. So yeah, all these other destructive behaviours emerge as a pattern. Mm. I had an encounter with God about this once because when our when my two oldest children were babies, I found babies infuriating oh just infuriating yeah Uh, no (laughs) well and i think you know i don't know if this is unique to the male species or not i wouldn't dare comment on on man's playing on behalf of others but danielle didn't seem to have the same problem i had she seemed Mm. to be so nurturing and patient and kind and everything they did was cute and amazing Mm. and i was actually like i hate this (laughs) i hate poo vomit crying feeding crying 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 drool (laughs) I hate milk arrowroot biscuits being ground into my car upholstery. Like there was all these sorts of things. Um, and our kid, the, the oldest two were born relatively close together. So they were both young. They were both babies at the same time essentially. Yeah. And I just found that was like completely stealing my life away. Yeah. And mm. I was filled mm. with negative emotion, mm. which the psych research does say that the first three years of having a newborn in the house is 
widely reported as a couple's unhappiest season. (laughs) (laughs) Doesn't mean they're unhappy with the child, though. They can be unhappy for different reasons. So in my case, it was like, what was I unhappy about? This chaos of these little tiny humans that they don't even do anything well, you know. Um, Or they can't even communicate, right? Like they can't even speak. Yeah. Like, I'm so glad my boys are five and nine now. Oh, because yeah, like, they after three, words. we're all good. We're all good. <laughs> yeah, but before right. that, so I, so Danielle was like loving the living the dream. You know, she she'd carried these babies for nine months on board, and then mm. when they finally arrived, she had so much attachment and love and care mm. and joy in the process of being the parent of a, of a baby. And I just hated everything about it. Everything yeah. about it was ruining my life, basically. And so, if you unpack what we talked about orientation, that's because. There's nothing like parenting to teach you just how self-oriented you are. Mm. And parenting is 100% other-oriented pretty much for 20 years, you know. Mm. <laughs> I don't know if it stops, but the – so for me, it was like, oh, I was miserable, cantankerous, mm. always bottling up what I really wanted to say and think because, like, you know, you can't yell at babies for crying at 2 totally. a.m. because fault, you yeah. want to, but you just can't do that. <laughs> it's not productive. So I went out and sat in the backyard, you know, one evening and stared up at the sky and sat on the grass and I was just saying, God, if you don't do something, this is my future. I'm just going to be this grumpy, cantankerous, always on the verge of exploding, fatigued, horrible human and I don't like the version of myself that I am. Mm. And then God really spoke to my heart in that moment and said, yeah, it's because you're selfish. Like mm. this is – you've made this all about you and what this experience is for you but I've given you a beautiful wife and I've given you these two amazing humans and your job is to nurture, love, build, disciple, totally. you know, care for, all that stuff. And everything you're called to is the opposite of self-orientation. You're called to be mm. other-oriented and your whole calling in life is wrapped up in give your life to these two little humans and your wife, like give your life yeah. to this. And as long as you're seeing it as a distraction from all the other great things you want to do in life, you'll be miserable. What you have to do is die to self and pour yourself into it. So in that moment I had this like transaction with God where I mm. like – you know, it was almost like the covenant with Abraham in Genesis, you know. It's quite I literally, Yeah. Mm. I literally went, okay, God, I lay it all down. I lay it all down. And I am mm. going to be – so now now that I have a, a different vocab to look back, that was 20 years ago, my vocab is now – what I really did is I determined I am going to be a mindful parent. When I'm with my children, I'm going to be 100% present and caring and nurturing. I'm going to die to self, pour it all out, and live to serve and cause their lives to flourish. So A – that that's like a very cold face example but for me it was life-changing because it actually learning to do that turned parenting into the greatest joy in my entire life wow. mm. my relationship with my kids are one of the most life-giving pathways i have in my life when our family does whatever it wants we sit around with no one else around and we have a you know a cheese board and we talk smack you know like, <laughs> we probably say loving things to each other but we, it's in a very joking manner so yeah there's a lot of smack talk but to me it's like man i was the guy that was you know frustrated and fidgety and cantankerous but it's become one of the greatest joys in my life and even now when i spend time with my kids i'm like god if i died right now i'd die a completely happy and fulfilled person the universe owes me nothing you know but it's just the example of you know i'm not saying i did everything well either but it's more that that self-orientation ultimately leads to frustration and blocked motivation Mm. and the human carnal solution is if only the universe would rearrange itself and cater to my every need, right? That's kind of what we do. And that's Please. controlling <laughs> that's controlling right. behaviours. I'm going to mm. change the whole universe and bend it to my will. Mm. Right? And then you're just so frustrated and angry all the time, you know, mm. versus I'm going to die to this and I'm going to live to sacrifice and serve others in this environment. That's the real – for Jesus, that's the pathway to life, you know. So, mm. yeah, that's Which what I, I experienced. Is, that is incredibly powerful. Like I, 
feel quite moved by that. Um, but I kind of think, imagine if that never happened. Like imagine yeah. if you never adjusted that orientation, mm-hmm. what would you have left in your wake the last 20 years? Yeah. How yeah. different would your daughters be? Mm-hmm. How different would your ministry have been? Oh, well, I don't your think I'd marriage? have a ministry. I don't no, think I could sorry. have a ministry, you know. I, but I, I, sorry. I, no, yeah, go ahead. No, no, I I just feel like there's people listening, but even us in the room, of like there are actually those confrontational moments of where our orientation, then we actually have to go, am I going to be like Jesus? Like am I going to mm, leave this mm. love and out, like this leave? love in our wake but knowing that the impact is not just in this circumstance mm, our mm. impact is then 20 years what we do for a living in our families that it actually has ripple effects which is what we're talking about like living yeah, love yeah. in our wake mm, there's mm. ripple effects that go on you know to places we probably don't even know about mm, mm. to the point where right now we're having this conversation about a an orientation shift you had 20 years ago mm, that's impacting mm. us in the room and those who are listening today mm, mm. and so the decision to kind of take off selfishness and take on Christ-likeness yeah, yeah. is pretty mind-blowing. Mm, absolutely. And, and um, I've worked in schools for 13 years mm. just as a chaplain dealing with parents and kids and the the I guess that ripple effect of dads who haven't made those choices. Yes, yes. Um, and, and you, it, it is like a common denominator of dad just sits at home, plays on his phone yeah, and doesn't say dads, anything. Emotionally unavailable, take no responsibility. And then when he does... He just barks. Yeah. Um, Because he's lost his temper. So it's not strategic. It's not discipline. It's not development. It's not just explosive. Totally. And so in in a sense, it's the complete opposite of love because they Mm. aren't even willing to be able to deal with their own emotional state Mm. in a sense. Why do you think that is? Like why do you think um, people find it hard to overcome those blockages? Like to make Mm. that decision? I think – the lack of self-evaluation for one, like as, as Christians, we are in constant state of our self-review and, and like review with God as well. So you took a moment where you paused, aligned your heart with God, and then God spoke to your heart. And then you would have obviously taken lots of little steps over a long period of time mm, that made mm. you a more caring, loving father. Mm. Um, but that moment would have been a transformation one where these dads that I work with, they, they don't have that outlet of like self-reflection and also looking to God. So I think in a lot of ways, it's that lack of moments. Like I, I like to call it cleaning my shed out, right? Like I go into my mental shed, yeah, I do man. a moment of like cleaning my mental shed and then... Shed happens. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I've been that's in my mental shed. Uh, <laughs> um, and so, you know, and I do that with God holding my hand of like, mm, you shouldn't be doing that or that shouldn't be in there. Um you should be a little bit more loving or you should be a little bit more patient or you should be a little mm, bit more, you mm, know, like those mm. kind of things. Um, but that comes, I think, as you go into the reflection of the Holy Spirit, like when you allow the Holy Spirit to look at you and it's like looking at a mirror of Christ. And so we constantly try to shed uh, our old self. We've got some shed to, to deal with. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. What about you, um, Ben? What's some things that you feel like that people struggle to overcome those blockages? This I think I think it's heavily heavily related to what Jason said. Awareness is a big one, right? Mm. And not just awareness of like, oh, how am I feeling? Oh, this is annoying. I need to put myself first, and I need to do me and have some care time. You know, like, but yeah. actually, awareness of what is the grand narrative I'm pursuing in life? Like, what mm. is the story? What is the shape of That's my life, right? And what am I actually pursuing? Do I have any intentionality around that or not? So if it is Christ-likeness for argument's sake, then your self-evaluation becomes being aware 
uh, not in a condemning, condemning or shameful way, but being aware what are the gaps between what I say I want in life and what I'm actually mm. doing right now. And of course, when you're really annoyed and and petty and you know <laughs> triggered, <laughs> that's the hardest time to do it, right? But that's mm. why a fruit of the spirit is self control for Galatians. Like in that mm. self control is I have the capacity to self monitor and self moderate, and then say, oh. I'm actually going down a direction that doesn't measure where I say I'm going in life. So I think a lot of people don't have an examined life. They mm. don't have that. Um, this is my ultimate life pursuit. Totally. You know, I was at a function recently, and someone was just behaving in such a cantankerous, horrible way to a waiter at a at a restaurant. And I think everybody else, there, even people who weren't believers, was sitting there going, "Oh my gosh!" But that person is a believer, and it's like, man, mm. you're such a such a passionate preacher when you get to preach but you're also taking all that passion and becoming the most cantankerous person here, but you lack all awareness of that fact, mm. you know, and it was just like painfully obvious to everyone else, but that person was blind to it themselves. So that's the question isn't like, oh man, what are we blind to in those moments when we wow. get, when our heart rate goes up, the adrenaline spikes. Yeah. What mm. do you think? Yeah. I'm also wondering if there is a lack of equipping. So mm. sometimes it's one generation leads to the next, then leads yep. to the next. And I think there's a, maybe a lack of self-awareness for sure and then a lack of even where am I going in my life, like a lack of vision. Mm. But then I wonder is maybe they want to but they don't know how. Mm. Like maybe so. they, they want to change, maybe they want to be a, a present dad but mm. all they know is a not present dad if we're yeah. talking about dads yeah. or, yeah. you know, let's I'm a woman so let's talk about mums or stepmums, foster mums or is that there's people that kind of go, oh, my mum used to just yell at me, but I don't know how to not do that. And so mm, I'm currently yeah, just mm. hitting my head against a brick wall. Yeah, and yeah. even though there are resources, sometimes people just reach like this point of, I actually don't know what to do right now. Yeah, yeah. And so I wonder if, you know, there's people like that out there that either they know Jesus or they don't, but they're still reaching a wall where they're just, yeah. they're lacking the skill and the understanding of how to find that skill. And then maybe even nervous to try. So there's a mm, poverty, mm, like mm. kind of a social poverty there. Yeah. I thought, I don't know how to get out of this cycle I've found myself wow. on. Um, and then I think that's exacerbated by sometimes life situations that, you know, keep swirling that uh, this, this is hard. I, I never seem to have money. So that exacerbates my internal stress. And then, you know, I've got heaps of kids and they're always making noise. And then I want to I want to mm, stop yelling, but mm, I don't know how mm. to stop yelling. And so it just keeps kind of rolling, do you know? Fascinating. Absolutely. So for the first 200, 250 years of Christian history, there were two there were two novels written. Oh, they're not novels, they're monographs, right? Yeah. Two books written, right? Two. Think about how many times over history, theology, textbooks, <laughs> end times, predictions, all this sort of stuff, right? But in the first 200 years, there were two major Christian works authored, right? Other than little prayers or a little bit of teaching, uh, you know, not counting yeah. bibli biblical literature, right? And both of them, they're about 100 years apart, both of them are on the importance of the primary Christian virtue, patience right wow. really? and not only that both of them really they were they, they both agreed on the substantial amount of content and what they both agreed on was patience is the primary christian virtue because everything else is wrapped up in it if you're truly loving you would be patient right so anyway so mm. it was kind of considered the linchpin right and especially because they're getting persecuted by an empire they're getting fed to you know lions and bulls and burnt alive and nailed to crosses <laughs> and patience was the the virtue which they called the primary christian virtue that everything else hung off because you have to patiently endure to express faith mm. share the gospel die to self you know all these things mm. so how would you do that so these treatises were both a full articulation of patience but then also an explanation of how you cultivate it right mm. and they agree on the same thing they had this thing called habitus, which is 
the habits of your life, right? And so how do you cultivate the impossibility of a patient existence? It is cultivating patient habits. And if you do that long enough, then it becomes automatic. I mean, then that, wow. like that's a profound idea from 200 AD that neuroscientists will talk about today, exactly the same thing, you know, behavioral right. activation. So the best way to be, for me, the best way to be a father who doesn't bellow and yell and scream is practice a deep breath and talking lovingly, graciously and mm. calmly when I want to totally. strangle someone, you know, <laughs> and then making that a habit in the home so that that does, you know, but then it can also become a habit at, in the workplace or, mm. you know, um, yeah, practicing the virtue of, you know, a gentle answer that turns away wrath or mm. those things. But I think it's habit at the end of the day. So so what would I do? Well, firstly, I don't wait till I get in the moment and then wonder what to do, but I have a game plan before I get in the moment. Mm. It's totally. highly – so knowing me, right, I'm a highly cantankerous, impatient, selfish human. We would not guess that. <laughs> therefore, <laughs> therefore, you will. <laughs> you see it every day. <laughs> so, so for me, though, I can't afford to be a husband, a parent, a father, a senior pastor or whatever in a highly cantankerous, impatient manner. Now, I am all of those things, but what I have to do is practice behavioral, behavioral mm. activation. And behavioral activation is I do it and then I internalize it and then it, it rules my state. So I'm feeling reactive and impatient because someone just said something really foolish to me before I get up to preach or something. That's like every week. <laughs> right? <laughs> Then what happens? Okay, I'm going to take a deep breath and I'm going to give a gracious, loving response because every time I do that, I'm habitus building. Patience is what we do. Mm. And so far that means that I haven't murdered anyone on a Sunday morning. So, so far. So winning. has it gotten easier as you've gone along? Um, I would say so. Like uh, the only reason I would say that is because I'm far more patient now than I was before. Mm. So then I think every season, every season – you grow in whatever you focus on. And, you know, and to be honest, patience has been one of my biggest weaknesses. So it's mm. had to have a lot of focus. It's had yeah. to have a lot of focus, yeah. And therefore I'm capable of greater patience now than I was 10 years ago. Even with my kids, I'm like far better now than I was 10 years ago. Or if somebody, let's just hypotheticalize and say if somebody took a swing at me at church because we were trying to eject them from the building, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right, 10 years ago. They would have left in an ambulance, <laughs> but this time they just get. Our calm. services are they Sunday just at ten a.m. <laughs> <laughs> we leave ambulances in our week, but this time they just get calmly told, "You're being asked to leave. Please yeah. get out." You know, like it's a completely different scenario mm. after ten years of cultivating a virtue. But yeah, mm. so does that come with um, the point of, I guess, self-reflection and humility? So I guess going back to the start of our conversation and the idea of, like self-focused selfishness in a mm, sense mm. um as you've gone through this journey has it been a act of humility in the sense of who you want to become or how no. has that come about no well, that would make it sound like that would make it sound far me far better than i was you know? <laughs> <laughs> i'll tell you i'll tell you the honest truth i was having this conversation with danielle the other day but not about me but i was having a conversation with a friend of mine who is a pastor in a different state and he's had some really horrible things happen you know forever basically yeah. there's always horrible things happening to their family and to them and i recently had dinner with him and then i said to daniel you know what's amazing is how patient and gracious he was about all that stuff they've just had this flare-up of difficulty and when he was explaining it to me i was mm. just struck by his gracious patience in it wow and then mm. i was telling daniel later and we were having a conversation and we were saying you know because we've known that person for 20 years and it's like you know the them of 20 years ago would not have been that patient and gracious there but now look at what's happened 
And then we were having this conversation about, okay, it's maturity, it's wisdom comes with age. It's like, no, no, that's not true because we know 80-year-olds that still don't have any patience. So it's not just that Amen. it comes with age. <laughs> but I think what it is is really, and now I would reflect back on this in my life too, suffering. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Like, um, if you don't waste good, if you don't waste suffering, which God never does, right? Yeah. You never waste a good crisis in your life. But, but what happens is suffering actually works all of these necessary traits in us, right? Suffering teaches you to be less self-absorbed if you let it. It can, of course, make mm. you more self-absorbed. Absolutely. But I think, you know, whatever adversity you face in life, and every human has it, so the scale is different and the brand is different, but we've all got it. You guys mm. have got it, you know. And then if you handle that suffering the way it's meant to be, then it cultivates in you perseverance. Perseverance cultivates hope, you know. So mm, sort of like that, that, scripture. that suffering transforms your character over mm. time unless you waste it right mm. and then i'd say that danielle and i've had different seasons of our life where we've literally talked like oh my gosh this is so intensely difficult right now it's, it's taken every single thing for me to just hold it together and then six mm. months later you realize man that really changed me yeah it really changed me you yeah. know and i'd say definitely for me with my yeah. patience levels suffering has recalibrated not that i'm saying poor me or anything you know, don't want mm. anyone to feel sorry mm. for me because you've got your own sufferings as well but <laughs> it's like man as you go through life and you realize the more pain we face, the more it becomes a transforming crucible for my life. But it's not that God makes you suffer, but he definitely wants to use that suffering to transform totally. you. And I think for me that's become a life-changing mm. thing, really, yeah. weirdly. Mm. yeah. I'm reminded too that the fruits of the Spirit um, and you know, even John who says God is love, that the key to all this too is that closeness, that in your suffering it's you know the further you are from God, probably it can feel like, especially as a believer, that the less likely you are going to change in his direction, yeah. right? But yeah. the closer yeah. you are yeah. to him, mm. that, you know, talk about John 15, like being attached to that vine yeah. and then the fruit of the spirit, not the fruit of Bethany, but the fruit of the spirit mm. is then mm. reproduced in our lives. And I feel like that just highlights just our closeness Absolutely. with him, even in our lack of equ- equipping or in our self-awareness process or in our vision for our life is how close are we to the spirit. In, in, to yeah. enable that change that in the mm, midst of our suffering mm, we mm. don't become self-centered because mm. if easy. we are if we are close to the spirit then we transcend our suffering mm. you know and you can think of suffering as like the heavy lifting you know it's heavy lifting in the gym mm. and then you don't always go through seasons of suffering so when you're not going through a season of deep suffering the heavy lifting you did do in the gym now makes you stronger in mm. everyday life right but i think the the theological equivalent is jesus saying in this world you will have trouble mm. but take heart I have overcome the world. So the more joined to Christ I am yeah. and I can transcend the trouble of the world, you know, the pressure, the squeezing. It's an awesome passage, that one, the Greek word flipsis, intense squeezing, like squishing juice out of grapes, you know. In this world you will have flipsis. Don't be surprised by it, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So our walk with Christ enables us to transcend that pressure if we want. Mm. Just got to do it easy. Yeah. I feel, like there's, I feel like there's people listening going, man, I feel seen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> because we all have struggles in which we are endeavouring to be like Jesus and lead love in our wake. Mm. But mm. we can even look at our lives and go, I didn't do so good there. Mm. Oh, but mm. it's so encouraging to be in a conversation and if you're listening, you're in this conversation of going, hey, this is this is part of the journey to go, I didn't quite get it right, but I'm heading towards yeah. that goal. Yeah. And uh, closeness to Jesus, self-reflection, mm. looking at what we're doing Um Anything to add before we close off today? Mm. Pass me. 
I'd say it's all counterintuitive. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. Never, never underestimate the ability for you to get it wrong when you behave according to intuition. Yeah, <laughs> you know, absolutely. Oh, I feel like I should just do this. Then don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> do not do what you feel like doing. Stop, take a breath, have a good think about this. You know, That's, that's actually probably, probably worth diving into is how feelings are just really not the place to follow, mm, right? Yeah, so we've got right. some struggles mm. in the world. Jace, anything to finish up with? I guess um, I, in my conversation with... And most people that I talk with, which is if you want to see transformation in life, get a mentor. So like if you want to be a person that leaves love in your wake, find a person that does that and partner your life with them. Mm. And so I think, um, you know, as, as, you know, we, you know, past uh, Beth and I, you know, we're a bit younger than Ben here. And so we look up to him. We're in different stages of our life. Sorry, that's the like frame in the corner. (laughs) But we're at different stages of our lives and like we can partner our life with Mm, you. mm, And, mm. you know, obviously this podcast is a mentoring tool where you can partner your life with this podcast. And so, um, you know, it's great just to learn from people who have gone the distance and they may not go through exactly what you've gone through, but you can learn something from each every person mm. in your mm. life. Mm. Mm. Brilliant. Well, friends listening, thanks so much for joining us today. I know there's a lot there for you to chew over. If you'd like to stay connected to Encounter Church, you can do that by checking out Encounter Church TV on YouTube or Encounter Church AU on Insta. We're all about leading lives that leave love in our wake. So till next time, maybe you can find ways to do just that. Bye for now. So good. And Ben's not that old. Adios. <laughs> <laughs>